Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. We have been talking about living like heaven is here. And this is the third week of, uh, of the series. So two weeks ago, Pastor Berlin spoke to us about living in the anointing, living in the presence of God, and how we have full access to everything God is, everything He does, everything He says, because we are literally living in His presence. And then last week, Pastor Roger spoke to us about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, living, literally living with the Holy Spirit filling us, living filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to continue with living the delivered life. So I said to Simon, thank you for giving me the boogeyman talk. (laughs) But that's not actually what we're going to talk about today, because the reality is, is that living the delivered life, if we are living in the presence of God, if we are living filled with the Holy Spirit, we are already living the delivered life. Some of you aren't convinced. (laughs) So... Deliverance, spiritual warfare, it's a part of Christian life. Um, I like to think of myself as more of a lover than a fighter, but when I signed up to become a Christian, when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, I was immediately conscripted into an army, just like every single one of you sitting in this room. And whether I wanted to or not, there is a battle that's going on. But we are victorious. And so in the New Testament, we see Jesus uh, casting demons out. It was a, a part of his ministry. It, it is what happened. Um, exclusively in the Gospels, we see demons being cast out, a little bit in Acts, but, it, but it's there. But there's a problem that's come into the church, into the Pentecostal church over the last hundred years, and that is an issue of focus. Because the Bible tells us in Matthew 28 that we are meant to go and make disciples, that we are meant to preach the gospel to the ends of the world. And it tells us that he is with us until the very end. It also talks about casting out demons. But there's this focus that's come in the church where we focus more on demon hunting than we do on discipleship. Now, Jesus didn't have a deliverance ministry. He is the deliverer. It was just a part of who he was because he was fully submitted to God. Now, now hear this. Jesus is fully man and fully God. When we see Jesus moving in miracles, that's not his godness. That is his humanity submitted to the Holy Spirit. Exactly like you and I. But he was fully and completely submitted to the Holy Spirit. Because of that Every time Jesus walked into a space, if there was a demonic entity present in that space, it freaked out. (laughs) Why? Because it knew the deliverer was here. You see, the word deliverance just means freedom, to be liberated. That is it. Nobody has a deliverance ministry. Let me prove that to you. (laughs) Nowhere in the Bible is deliverance a gift of the Holy Spirit. It just isn't. So what is it? Well, Mark 16 verse 17 says this, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. 
What is the qualification to cast out a demon? Okay, let's say it like we understand and know what it is. What is the qualification to cast out demons? To believe. Those who believe in what? In my name, in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe he is the Son of God? Do you believe he lived and died and rose again? Do you believe he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven? You are a believer. Look at the person next to you say, you're a believer. Do you see, nobody has a deliverance ministry. It's part of being a Christian. There's no uh, university we go to to learn the names of every demon in hell, to learn all their secrets. No, 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 no. You see, you, because you're a believer, you carry the deliverer inside of you. When you walk into any environment where a demonic entity exists, it's going to freak out because the deliverer is there. Not you, not me, but Jesus. And so deliverance absolutely is part of the believer's anointing. And so there's been this massive error in the church, this focus on just going after demons. And people develop deliverance ministries. You know, you've heard the joke about the little boy, and this is in the old days, and maybe some of you won't get it, but this little boy who runs into his mother one day and says, there's a man with a deliverance ministry here. And the postman walks in. <laughs> you see, the issue of deliverance is that all deliverance can do is deal with a demonic entity. That's it. That is all it can do. If you want to deal with the rest of the person, it's called discipleship. If there's a demon, deliverance is very effective. But if there's no discipleship, there is no point. You see, the whole point of Christianity is relationship with Jesus Christ. Relationship. Who, who knows that a relationship is hard? Who knows it costs you something? Who knows it requires commitment and faithfulness and effort and conversation and dealing with your own nonsense to be in a healthy relationship? You see, but we do this thing in the church. We do this thing as Christians. I know we do it because I've done it. I'm sure even Holy Tiam has done it. <laughs> and what we do is, is we... We really want to please God. We really do. Nobody in this room is going to put up their hand and say, I don't want to please God and I don't care what he thinks. That's not what we're here for. We really want to please God. We really want to do the right thing. We really, really do. But because we're human, we try and find the quickest, easiest route to doing that. And so what we do as Christians is we outsource relationship. Pastor, you read the Bible and tell me what it says. Prophet... I, I, should I marry this person? That's not what prophecy is for, by the way. The only reason you marry somebody is because you love them and you're going to commit your life to them and you're going to be responsible for the choice. I, I hear you all clapping your hands, but I, I sometimes get asked that question. So I'm not pointing at anybody. Um, and then, when it comes to deliverance, this is what we're doing. We're outsourcing our authority. And like I said, deliverance is great for dealing with demons. 
The issues of your humanity are going to require relationship. And so we can go somewhere and they can cast out a demon. Some of you might think that in this house we don't do that. No, no, that's not what's happening. But we're practicing true deliverance. That's what we're going to talk about today. You know, as we disciple people, we will come across demons. They're real. They're there. They're influencing. They're affecting. But they are not the problem. So I want to talk about three keys to living the delivered life. And that's going to be that we break off unrighteous agreements, that we disagree with unrighteousness. It's going to be that we stand in the full authority Jesus Christ has won for us, that we don't outsource it, that we stand in it, that we take the authority he has won for us, and that we keep abiding. And unfortunately, I'm going to be talking from the book of James this morning. <laughs> Some of you don't know why that's funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> James is not scared. He just tells. Whoops, they beat me to it. He just uh, he just tells you the truth. He tells it like it is. So James says, "What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder." Can we just stop there for a minute? <laughs> what church is James talking to? <laughs> Aren't you glad we're not in that church this morning? <laughs> I mean, that's just an aside. Um, it carries on and says, You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Can you see the agreements? Now, there, there's been times in my life where if my life was so full of quarrels and fighting and strife, where I never got the thing I wanted, where I felt like God wasn't answering my prayers, I would jump into spiritual warfare. Satan, get behind me! I would scream and shout at the devil because that feels like demonic in intervention in my life, doesn't it? What does James say? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, that you desire and you do not have, so you murder? Please, let's keep it one step before that. <laughs> you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Your prayers aren't being answered because you ask wrongly to just spend it on your own passions. Remember what I said, we're looking for the shortest shortcut to please God. That's human nature. We just want to tick boxes. But relationship requires so much more of us. And in those times, one, one time when I was doing that, when I was screaming at the devil, the Lord just showed me a picture, and it was me in my room, and I saw this little demon sitting in the corner sharpening its claws, and it was trying very hard not to make eye contact. And I literally saw the Lord was, was teasing me, and he was saying, Greg, that demon's not doing anything. You're doing all its work for him. So you can rebuke him as much as you want. He's not doing anything. It's all happening inside me. And so maybe the problem isn't demons. Maybe the problem is our sin, is our deception, is our faulty thinking. 
Because demonic oppression comes through the agreements we make with fear, with rebellion, with anger, with lust. And we make those agreements in our hearts and our minds and through our behavior. And this is the weirdest thing. We can quote the scripture, we can believe it with all our heart, and then we can act like a completely different way. Because of relationship. Because the Bible isn't about rules and laws. The Bible isn't moralistic. It teaches morality. But the morality is supposed to come out of relationship, out of a practice, out of a daily philosophy that we live and cherish. You know, as pastors, we get asked so often, why do bad things happen to good people? And there really is no easy answer to that. But James actually tries to answer that, and I think he answers it quite well. In James 1 verse 14, he says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed away by his own desires. In the NIV, it says his own evil desires. So where does evil originate? And so turning away from unrighteousness from unrighteous agreements through confession and repentance. That is what delivers us from the influence of the demonic realm. John 8 verse 32 says, um, we've had that, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it's good that we read the Bible. It's really good that we confess the Bible and declare the word of God. That's, that's good. But the key word there is the verb, know the truth. Speaking the truth doesn't set you free. Reading the truth doesn't set you free. What sets you free? And so knowing is about an active involvement with the truth. Knowing the truth means I want to do what I want to do, but this is what the Word of God says, and now what am I going to do? I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to cut open my heart. I'm going to stick it in there like a sword until I understand that this is truth. And I'm living it. Until that moment, you can declare, you can shout, you can pray, you can cry. There will be no freedom until I embrace it and live from it. And that's a daily reality. This is why I read the Bible every day. Well, actually, I must probably read the Bible four to five times a week. I hope that doesn't shock you. But I read it with that intent of letting it cut my heart open. And I've read through the Bible most probably about 15 times in my life. That's not a lot. There are people who have done it way more. But that's why, because every day there's something new that it speaks to. There's something more that I have to do and deal with. As I said a few weeks ago um, when I was preaching, um, I said this, and it's absolutely true. Christianity is the only world religion that never graduates from the basics. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how many people you have that you're leading. We pray. We read our Bible. We attend church, we confess, we worship, we fast. We never, ever graduate. There's no esotericism in Christianity. What I mean by that is other religions, you get to a point and then you graduate to higher spiritual knowledge. That never happens in Christianity. We're all on exactly the same journey. That's all we do until we see Jesus. So let's get good at it. But continually, we have to know the truth. When we read and believe and receive the truth of God, um, 
It has power to deliver us from the lies of the enemy. That's actually what we most need to be delivered of, is lies. As we act on the word and obey it, we are set free from fear, from selfishness, from lust, and demons can no longer influence our thinking and behavior because we know the truth. So we all live in Joburg. <laughs> so I think we're all acquainted with this reality. You have a gate somewhere that has a thick chain wrapped around it and then a lock. Everybody know what I'm talking about. So think about that. See that picture in your brain. Now imagine how small that lock is compared to the chain. Okay? If you break the lock and that's all you do, does the gate swing open? What needs to happen for the gate to swing open? Got to take the chains off. So in this analogy, the chains are your thinking. What you actually believe. What you're actually practicing. Now, in our Western world, we think that thoughts and feelings are completely different things. We think rational and emotional. That's not 100% right. In the Hebrew and Greek, the word um, think and feel are often the same root word. They mean the same thing. Um, imagine you're, you're listening to me speak and you say, Pastor Greg's rebuking us today. If you start thinking that, how long before you're like, mm. <laughs> If you just get angry, how long before you start thinking, that man is... <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? They're intricately entwined. And so that train is our thinking and feeling. It's how we actually respond to the world. It's faulty beliefs. It's half-truths, lack of truths. It's straight-up lying. The demon is the lock. How small is the lock compared to the chain? How easy is it to break a lock? A lot easier than breaking the chain. The chain takes more effort. And that's how demons work in our life. We create a little castle of doubt, of fear, of disbelief, of selfishness. That chain starts wrapping around our hearts. The demon goes, oh, I see that. And it just starts influencing. All it has to do is just put little, little pressure. Because we're already believing that. We're already in an agreement. And again, it's not enough to break the lock. And breaking the lock, remember what I said, in a deliverance ministry, it's the easiest part. You just rebuke the demon. So here's an easy test. If there's problems and strife and I rebuke the demon and it gets better, it was a demon. <laughs> if I rebuke the demon and nothing changes... So I've said this to myself, and I've said this to other people. I can rebuke a demon out of you, but I can't rebuke you out of you. <laughs> I've tried to deliver myself of myself, but God is not fooled. Because it's relationship. It's the effort. It's the cost. It's the faithfulness. It's the price of being in relationship with a loving, living God. So Proverbs 26 verse 2 is really interesting. Like a flattering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. So imagine birds. You know how birds, they just, they don't stick. It's not building a nest. An undeserved curse does not come to rest. So I actually went and looked um, at some uh, commentary on this. It's from the net version of the Bible, the NET. And uh, it's on your, on your U version. You can look it up. And it's got some great commentary. And this is what it said. A curse that is uttered will be powerless if that curse is undeserved. It was commonly believed in the ancient world that the blessings and curses had power in themselves, that once spoken, they were effectual. I think that's what we believe in Africa, in South America, 
in Europe, in America. I think that's what we believe. Just because it's been uttered, it's happened. Do you believe the scripture? Yes. Caroline does. <laughs> but here's the thing. When somebody's wrapped mooty and leaves and sticks and, and they've stuck it under your driveway, do you believe the scripture? Because we know that nonsense is happening. But do you believe the scripture? So, what, so we do. We believe. As soon as the curse has been done, oh my gosh, we're cursed. But scripture makes it clear that the power of a blessing or a curse depends on the power of the one behind it. Numbers 23 verse 8 proves this. I don't know if you know the story of a prophet called Balaam. He had a donkey who spoke. The, prof, the donkey never prophesied. The donkey simply said to him, why are you treating me this badly? And the reason was because Balaam was greedy. The Philistines offered him money to curse the Israelites because they knew when that prophet spoke, things happened. So they came up with a plan. They said, you curse Israel, then we won't have to fight them. But Balaam is in a predicament. And this is what he says to them in Numbers 28, uh, 23 verse 8. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? God has not cursed them. Did you hear that? God has not cursed them. So that witch and wizard and Sangoma and warlock, whatever they are, can do whatever they want to do. Their authority is coming illegitimately from Satan. It doesn't matter. Where is your authority coming from? A curse can only take effect if the one who declared it had the authority to do so. And he would only do that if the curse was deserved. When we are doing the right thing, we don't have to worry about something or someone sneaking up on us and messing things up. God can only partner and bless righteousness. This is something else we have to grasp. I once had a friend, and uh, when they were in high school, uh, their community sent um, about five of them to a private girls' school here in Johannesburg, and they rented an apartment in Ponty, you know, the round building in... in, in um, Hilbra, and um, when they moved in, they were so excited to find a very vibrant family next door who seemed to be very Christian. In fact, they were. They had all-night prayer meetings. They were continually worshiping Jesus. You know, the gospel movie was blaring, and so they felt very safe leaving the girls there. The girls loved this family. They shared meals. They really looked after them. <laughs> Amazing Christians. One afternoon, the girls come back from school, and they're all lined up in the passage facing the wall with their handcuffs on. And the police are hauling ivory after ivory after ivory. <laughs> they are ivory smugglers. <laughs> the Lord can only bless righteousness. It doesn't matter how much you pray, worship, sing, shout, chant. He will not bless unrighteousness. He can have no partnership with unrighteousness. An undeserved curse will not come to rest. Now, can we accidentally involve ourselves with a curse? This is what a young person asked me recently. And they, came, they gave this interesting example. They said, what if your parents tell you you're worthless? So the truth of that is, you're going to believe that, aren't you? And the sad tragedy of believing a lie is that when you believe a lie, you live like it's true. All the consequences of that lie play in your life. But here's the issue. The parents might think you're worthless, but what does God say? You see, believing a lie is simply believing a lie, and you can then swap it for the truth. 
It's as simple as that. And the second I swap it for the truth, it's not a curse anymore. Anything that is a lie can be undone like that. And so no, you cannot accidentally come under a curse. It's always an agreement we make. So just quickly talk about what Satan is. John 8.44 says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you see what I'm saying? Anything Satan says is a lie. Nothing he says is true. At best, it's a half-truth, but a half-truth is manipulative. And a half-truth, we sometimes guess, but we make an agreement. Why do we agree? Because we want to control our own lives. Anything that circumvents the hard work of relationship, I don't understand why we're like that. We're created for relationship. And yet, any shortcut that's presented to us, we will take it. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. The devil just came and whispered half-truths. And they took it because they wanted control of their life. And then when they had it, they realized how naked and uncovered they were. And so we have to break unrighteous agreements. You know, Jesus never actually spoke to demons in the Bible. Now hear me, he never engaged with them. He never had a conversation with them. So here's an example. Um, you've had that. Oh, we're really going to take authority? <laughs> Perfect. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So in, in John, um, sorry, in Mark 1, 21, 23, we see an encounter with a demon. And Jesus says, and immediately... Uh, sorry, the Bible says, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Now, when it says he cried out, it means the unclean spirit, right? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. See, there was no discussion. There was no haggling or bargaining Jesus wasn't interested in what the demon had to say. So there's, there's a moment where he's actually speaking truth. I know you're the son of the Holy One. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't engage with him. Why do we? When we come across a demon, we just cast it out and it's gone. So coming back to authority. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So that's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? God wants the Holy Spirit to manifest fully in our lives, to be our main motivation, our main source, everything. And he's jealous for that to happen. And because the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, this is why we have authority through Jesus Christ. And he gives more grace. In the middle of all this rebuke, James tells us what? God gives more grace than whatever we're struggling with. It says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So in the New Testament, most of the promises we read in the New Testament actually have conditions. We think we know the Bible because we quote the promise. We never quote the conditions. <laughs> 
But if you go and look, almost 100% of the conditions are just plain relationships. So we need to stop praying the promise into our life because the promise is guaranteed. We need to start praying for grace to fulfill the condition. You see, we don't because the promise is nice. <laughs> But again, the condition requires relationship from us. And in this case, what is it? That we submit ourselves to God. That we humble ourselves. That's what a lot of the translations say, that we humble ourselves before God. So what is humbling ourselves before God? You are right, I am not. This is what you want from me. This is what I want from my life, but this is what you require of me. This is what I want to do, but this is what you want to do. That's humbling yourself before God. It's just saying, God, I know what I want to do, but actually I'm really interested in what you want to do, and can you help me do that? So the condition to see the devil flee from you is firstly what? Submit yourselves to God. What's the second condition? Well done. <laughs> It's right there. <laughs> So that I also have to resist the devil. So what is resisting the devil? Well, resisting the devil requires that we actually pull away. We reject his lies. That we start telling us the truth about what God's word says. That we surrender our battles to, achi to achieve our own desires and we rather go after what God wants. That we serve his will and his purpose. And so both submitting to God and resisting the devil are very active things. And we can do them. And that's what we need to pray into our lives. Because then the promise is absolutely guaranteed. He will flee. And so this is what the Bible says about our authority. Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors, not we will be, or we once were, or we could be. We are, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is our victory in? Not us. Not us screaming and shouting. That's why in this church, you know, some people might think we don't deliver because we have no power. <laughs> Maybe we've got more power because they don't scream and shout. Because we don't give them free access to just do whatever they want to do. We send them to the feet of Jesus. And hopefully you're getting that. That true deliverance is here and here. Not just the, the supernatural demonstration of demonic nonsense. And plus, we don't want to embarrass people and we don't want to shame people. Nobody wants to be demon boy or demon girl in their church. And yet we create spaces where that's exactly what happens. That's not God. That's not the love of Jesus. We don't see that in the Bible. Like I said, they make a scene because the deliverer is standing right in front of them. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Does he sometimes lead us in triumphal procession? And it's not defeated dejection. It's triumphal procession. 1 John 2.13, you have overcome the evil one. You have overcome He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? Now, do you know it? Because God and Satan are not equal. God created Lucifer who, who in his pride became the devil. Who is greater, the creator or the created? Now, think about that. Why do we fear demons and the supernatural more than we fear God? 
Jim LeFoon really helped me understand this, and I'm putting my own bend on the story. But at the end, in Revelation, when we see the great dragon thrown into the pit of hell, which, by the way, is not his kingdom or his domain, it is his prison and his punishment. Satan is not king of anything. The Bible calls him the prince of the world. Why? Because we give him authority. Because we submit to him, and then he can act like a prince for a moment. But the person next to me who is not submitting to him, he is not a prince of them. Do you get what I'm saying? He's already living out his damnation, his punishment. So that, that's for free. But when we see that happen, when he is finally and forever never allowed to come back out of hell, it's not Gabriel, it's not Michael, the mighty war angels that we know. It, I, I phrase it this way, like God's like, um, you, and there's just some rando nameless angel <laughs> that comes with a chain, binds him up, and flings him into the pit. Done. Who is greater? <laughs> and then we keep abiding. And this is true discipleship. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Again, can you see the condition and the promise? Who wants God near them? What do we have to do? Isn't drawing near to God just relationship? Humility, humbleness, just, Lord, I love you. Lord, you're so good. What happens when we do that? He is close to us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Can you see the condition and the promise? What is the promise? That's the condition. What is the promise? <laughs> But you're getting the point. This is so good. And so if we want to be exalted, I want to be exalted in God, don't you? That sounds awesome. Well, it's simple. We just humble ourselves. Relationship, relationship, relationship. And if we're doing that, how can demons influence? And so guys, this is the bottom line of all of this. These three points, break off unrighteous agree agreements. Where do you need help? Do you need to go for counseling? Do you maybe need some medical intervention? Because we blame demons for everything. Some, we carry the greatest responsibility for our lives. We are responsible for the Lord about how we live our lives. So if you need counseling, go for counseling. If you need medication, go for medication. Stay away from, from deliverance ministries where you have to go back every couple of months and your marriage doesn't improve and your relationships don't improve, and your finances and your business don't prosper. The keys are this. Break off those unrighteous agreements. Stand in your full authority. Stop outsourcing your authority. Be responsible and stand in what Jesus has won for you. And keep abiding. Push into discipleship. The basics of Christianity. Get really, really good at them. And then you are living the delivered life. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Jesus, we want to praise you for a moment as the deliverer. You have set us free. You have set us free, Lord. We are delivered. And God, where we need to break off those agreements, just speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, lead us to Scripture. Lead us to, to people who can help us, who can disciple us, who can pray with us and encourage us, Lord God. May we never just fall for a quick fix, Lord God. Even if it's a powerful, supernatural demonstration, God, we want you. We want you. We want you. Teach us how to stand in our authority. Every lie we believe about you and about ourselves, God, wash those things away.
And then God, keep us falling in love with you, abiding in you, living like you're our father and our friend and the lover of our soul and, and the most wonderful, kindest, most considerate person we know in the universe. God, we, we choose to humble ourselves. Give us courage to resist the devil. And we know he will flee. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.